0: Hi, I'm Steve Moletto from the Teaching Learning Leading K-12 Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to episode 92 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning.
1: And I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about professional development and training. We know that so many of you that listen to the show do some form of professional development or some sort of trainings or something. And so uh, Casey and I are going to dig into a variety of things, including how you can use Google tools in your trainings and PD, um, just some general tips for Google trainings and PD and all of that. And hey, if you don't do professional development, you know, learning is learning. And so there very well may be something in here that you can use. Of course, we've also got Google News and updates. We've got feedback from the listeners. We got two speak pipe messages to listen to. So we're excited to hear those voices and some blog posts. So I'm ready to get started on this, Casey. How about you?
0: Let's go. Let's jump into some Google News and updates. So our first one—I'm eh, not so excited about. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe more people really find a need for this, but dark theme is coming to Gmail for Android and iOS. So hold on, people—you can get a black background. Ooh. That's what, what they're. And it is nice. It's nice to have that. A lot of people prefer that, or you might be in a setting where the light is, you know obtrusive to what you what you're doing here in the movie theater i don't know what you're doing but you need that dark theme support so it will be rolling out on both the android devices and ios devices
1: what do you do when checking your email in the movie theater casey
0: I don't do that. No. But I me- really don't do that. I, I like get annoyed because my movie <laughs> experience is like primo. I am a a like I got to enjoy and savor every moment. Mm-hmm. And don't you dare get a phone call during a mm-hmm. movie or talk. Don't talk right. during my movie. Right.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, just in case somebody has to, <laughs> now they're not going to ruin your movie experience as much as they could.
0: Exactly. If any of our listeners happen to be in a movie theater with me, watch out.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. The next one we've got has to do with Google Docs and Google Slides. And being a little bit of a, you know, kind of a design nerd, this is a this is a good one, I think. It's called, the, the post says, Better Line Spacing Support for Branding in Google Docs and Google Slides. To me, I see this and I think, yeah, it's good for branding, but this is just good if you want to have more control over your design. So here's what it means. Basically means that in Google Docs and Google Slides, you can now have more custom line spacing options. And so when you click on um, line spacing, what you're going to be able to do is adjust the amount of space that's between these lines a little bit more carefully than you could before. So this is something that's nice if you're looking at your, you know, for instance, the titles on your slides or something. I know for me, sometimes what I'll do is I'll create titles in three separate text boxes, and then I'll be able to move those around so that I can adjust the spacing in between them if I want them to be closer or farther apart. And so now you've got the ability to actually go in and do that. That shows that that is going to be doing a uh, gradual rollout through mid-September all the way into October. So keep an eye out for that new feature.
0: I like that. I really like to take the time to get every little word and things in the right spot sometimes. So I will definitely be using that feature. Our next update is a little bit more exciting than my Uh first one. (laughs) This one is actually about Chromebooks. So, they are bringing the Google Assistant to Chrome OS, to the operating system itself, which means you're going to be able to talk and get your Chromebook to do certain things. For instance, you'll be able to say, Hey, Google, create a new document. What? That's pretty cool. I like that. So, the, the caveat is, in the very first paragraph of this update, they are telling us that it's rolling out to non-managed consumer devices. So those of you who have your own Chromebook may be able to en- enable this, be able <laughs> to enable this. But I'm curious to when this might be a feature that we could enable for the classroom because this is also – going to help some of our struggling students. At least that's what I'm hoping when I, when I look at this and see the possibilities, of course, this is coming from the keyword blog where they're really focusing on the consumer use. So, you know, create a new document. We can ask what's next on our calendar. You can say, remind me to buy a cake for someone's birthday or play some party music. I need that in my (laughs) classroom. I don't know about y'all, but play some party music. is definitely something that's high on my priority list. And you can enable this, or if you want to see If you have this option yet, what you're going to do is you're going to go to your settings in your Chromebook, then go to search and assistant and Google assistant, and you can enable the voice input and train your assistant to recognize your voice. And then you'll just say the, Hey, Google, and your assistant will respond. After you enable it, you can also access it with your keyboard shortcut by clicking on, am I reading this right? It says search. So, I guess it's the search. I'm not looking at a Chromebook right now, which is really kind of confusing me, but the search, which is the little magnifying glass and the Uh. A. So, you'll hit that combination and then you'll, you can even do that. So, if you don't want to say, Hey, Google, or as I imagine how confusing this would be in a Ooh, group of Chromebooks, which yeah, might be why this yeah. isn't gonna work in the classroom. <laughs> Cause but if it's supposed to recognize your voice, that's gonna be interesting because they are getting smarter. And I know this about the echo too, that they're actually learning how to recognize different voices. So anyway, again we're sort of evolving with these devices and I'm, I'm pretty interested to, to see where this goes and how yeah, this might I'm, be able I'm to help real
1: interested in this too, you know, um, assistant and the Alexa and, you know, all of those, um, assistant type things. Um, they aren't going anywhere and companies continue to invest in them. There's all of this talk about how using your voice and talking to your devices is on the rise. And it makes me think of the students who, you know, need some of that help with their, you know, with their executive function and, you know, just their, their ability to manage their lives and manage their thoughts and everything. And, um, (laughs) but yeah, I can only imagine just, you know, saying that trigger phrase and then hearing like 14 Chromebooks all waking up and listening to it at the same time. (laughs) (laughs)
0: well you know i guess we would have the same problem if we're all sitting around with our phones and you know use the Mm -hmm. the voice command but the the other thing i'm wondering is the same question that everybody asks when it comes to these devices that are listening right are they listening all the time are they gathering data is this going to interfere with you know any of our laws and especially with the you know Mm -hmm child protection and all of those things. So I'm sure somebody yep. listening is already thinking about that too. But anyway, just an interesting yes, yes, update. Yes, totally that you agree. Should know about it is Chrome definitely OS. interesting.
1: Um, last one we've got for you. This is a post to the keyword blog and it says six Chromebook keyboard shortcuts that save time. I am in love with keyboard shortcuts. If you've been listening to the Google teacher tribe for very long, you probably know that about me. There are a variety of them. Of course, you can view all of your keyboard shortcuts all at once by pushing control, alt, and slash. That's also like control, alt, the, and the question key. And it'll display all of the keyboard shortcuts you can use for uh, Chromebooks. And I think, uh, I think that that's one of the big strengths of Chromebooks is that they have lots and lots of really good keyboard shortcuts if you get used to them. So here are some of the ones they mention in this post. Uh, one is to drop, dock browser windows. This is to put them to, you know, the right hand half of the screen or the left hand half of the screen. You can do that with alt and then the brackets, you know, those are like the square brackets. And with either one, it'll, it'll either dock it to the left or to the right. Two is to switch between browsers or switch between tabs. And you can use the Alt tab and the Control tab keys to be able to switch between those two. Um, Alt tab will switch between browsers. Control tab will switch between tabs. If you close a tab accidentally and you want to recover it, this is maybe my absolute favorite keyboard shortcut of them all. I show the, this one at workshops and sessions all the time to teachers and there are gasps in the, in, the, in the audience every time I seem to do it. Control-Shift-T. In fact, I think that was part of the title of one of our episodes recently when we talked about keyboard shortcuts. Um, so Control-Shift-T will reopen your most recently closed tab. If you want to do caps lock, even though there's no caps lock button, you can use the alt plus search button. The search button is of course the little um, magnifying glass. You can switch between work and personal accounts, switch between accounts by going alt control and then the like greater than and less than signs, which are right above the period and the comma. And then the last one is to launch applications on the shelf. Um, or the taskbar, you know, at the bottom of a Chromebook, you've got all of these little um, icons for different apps. If you want to launch one of those, all you have to do is hit alt. And then whatever number they are in order is the number you want to push. So if there's eight of them there, and you want to launch the second one from the left, you just hold alt and push two. So there's a bunch of those cool uh, Chromebook keyboard shortcuts. Those are things that can help you in your own life. And of course, if um, your students find out about these, it can speed things up for them as well. So if you're interested in checking out any of these posts, feel free to head to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 92. So today's featured content, we're going to be talking about professional development. Um, training, conference sessions, workshops, you know, whatever it is you want to call it. And, um, we know that so many, uh, folks in the tribe that listen to the show, um, do some variety of this. And Casey and I, <laughs> we, we feel like we do a ton of professional development. It's like kind of a, an enormous part of our lives. I just was thinking back about it and I, I think I did my very first conference session um, where I was the presenter all the way back in like 2011 or 2012. Um, I didn't prompt Casey on this, but Casey, I'm still going to ask you, do you remember anything about when you very, very first started doing professional development?
0: Yes. Um, let's see. That was probably during my last, oh, let's see about two, Two thousand five is when I started getting pulled in while I was still in the classroom and doing some some training. And then in two thousand seven it became my main gig. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so there's been plenty of professional development, (laughs) at least between the two of us for for several years. And um, I just recently wrote a post about um, a bunch of tips to deliver powerful professional development. So PD is kind of on my mind. And we were thinking, hey, if um, some of the folks in the tribe do some of these trainings in this professional development, what are some things that could be useful to them? So we've got 10 tips. We're going to try to make it through all of them in our allotted amount of time. And so since I've already been yakking an awful lot here, I better jump into my first one. And And so the first one that I want to share is to share all sides of a tech tool. So if you're doing a presentation on Google Classroom or on anything that might have a teacher side and a student side, it's always a good idea, I've found, to help teachers to be able to see the student side of a tool, to see the teacher side of the tool. And even if they need to do some initial setup, if they can see that that's really good and um one way to do that especially if you're doing Google Classroom training is to let the teachers join a class as a student you know maybe for your um workshop or your session they can join it and see things from the student side and then you can show them the teacher side and then that way they can see all different sides of it and then whenever it's time to jump in um they're not lost on what things are going to look like for you know, either the student or the teacher. So that's one one way that I think you can make things a little easier on them.
0: What I'm gonna focus on in today's episode is actually my Google PD framework. So I'm probably gonna have a much harder time keeping mine concise and short <laughs> here. But I have taught Google for so many years that especially when I'm working with beginner users, I have discovered there is a an order that works best, at least for me in terms of helping those users adopt and adapt to the different applications. So I decided to put together this framework to help other trainers. And I do have the um, Google certified trainer certification and help other trainers. So this is something that I include with some of those courses. And the first thing that's at, at the bottom, so I have a picture I'll have in the show notes for you, but at the bottom of the framework is the foundation, which I consider adult learning strategies, which are not really how students learn. The children that we teach adults learn a little bit differently. So I consider that the foundation for success. Before we ever start thinking about the app, before we ever start thinking about what you know activities we're going to do, where we're going to go in the training, before you create a slide deck, consider who you're teaching. And this is a a list of some of the tips that I have for those those adult learning strategies or what you call andragogy, which is not pedagogy, but this is an actual word. You can look it up. (laughs) (laughs) And according to Google Dictionary, it is the method and practice of teaching adult learners. So it's adult education. And As I transitioned from teaching middle schoolers to adults, it is definitely something (laughs) that I had to pick up and become better at reaching adult learners. They are a very different breed. And let's just say teaching teachers is definitely a, a little bit different. In fact, I often tell people teachers are sometimes more challenging than my middle schoolers ever were. But these are the things that I think about. So first of all, they are adults and we have to treat them like adults. We have to respect their time. And you can do that in a lot of different ways. But for me, I start and I finish on time. You know, I... Always like to to take into account. Yeah, some people are late, but guess what? Some people were early too. And let's get started. And that's okay if people trickle in. We're gonna we're gonna do this. And I usually finish on time, if not early, just because I know how much teachers love to get out a little bit early. Oh, yes. The other thing is when when you're teaching something, whether it's Google or whatever it is that they're doing, maybe it's some new push in your district, but don't assume they're doing something wrong. Don't go in there that this is to fix the problem, even if it might actually be for that reason. Don't don't say that. Don't push it in that direction. We're modeling. We're putting the teacher in the seat of the student. We're building those relationships. We're listening to their needs. We're open to questions and ideas. Nothing is worse than going to professional development where they don't even listen to your questions or respect that you already know the information, you know, so you're going to take that that time to encourage these teachers and and differentiate where possible, make it personal and empower your teachers.
1: That's that's an important thing to to remember and to have those differences in there. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a, a good place to, to start, I think. The next stop I wanted to take on this was to go deep rather than wide. And this makes me think of, the, it's these conference sessions. I've run them myself. I've been to them before. Um, it's these, these sessions called 60 Apps in 60 Minutes. 60 digital tools in 60 minutes or whatever. And, um, you know, sometimes they have their their benefits. But what I found is for most people that are there, if you give one minute to one app and you try to hit 60 of them, that is going wide. And all of a sudden, um, teachers end up leaving those sessions with a passing familiarity of lots of things instead of being empowered to actually start using anything, <laughs> And so I've found that I, I really like when possible to go deep. And so if I can find one or two or three things that I can go deep on and help teachers to really prepare for those using those particular strategies in the classroom instead of doing lots and lots of things, then they're able to actually leave and say, hey, I feel confident. Going into the classroom and actually using this, because we all know that one of the biggest hurdles to um, for teachers is time. They just don't have time to go look at all sixty of those apps. And so, if we can knock that out and just a few of them uh, in a session, I think that's that's really really powerful.
0: And you know that brings up a really good point because when you go to a conference, those types of sessions are usually packed, right? They are. In fact, it's it's almost like it's, it, I mean, and as a presenter, I know that I know if I create a title like that, people are right. going to come. And so sometimes we have to consider the balance between what is going to, you know, attract those participants if, if they have choice in the matter, but to also balancing the need. And sometimes what we see as coaches and facilitators and trainers, We see needs that teachers don't necessarily think that Mm -hmm, they need. (laughs) And so sometimes we have to sneak those in. Sometimes we have to kind of disguise our titles as well to make sure that, you know, I might be giving you 60 tips for Google Classroom, but I'm going to be modeling these strategies that are going to be something else that I want you to do in your classroom. So, you know, really important conversation. So I like I like what you said about that. Totally agree. All right. I'm moving on in my framework, which is really about the order of teaching the various Google applications. And number one, always start with Google Chrome. And I cannot emphasize this one enough. In fact, I have a meme in my book. That's a good one. That has, I don't always start with, with Chrome, but when I don't, I always regret it. So I have tried others, but especially, again, I'm saying With teachers who've never had any exposure or very little exposure to Google, you want to set them up for success and start with Chrome because Chrome is the learning environment for all things Google. If you have MacBooks on your campus and you are not using Chrome on your MacBooks, you're making a huge mistake. I just had this conversation with someone a while back. Yeah, it's going to work but you're going to miss out on a lot of the benefits of using Google with Google. They work best together. So that is the number one thing that I do when I am setting everyone up. I want to make sure they understand their learning environment. I'm going to show them, you know, some Chrome resources, how to get acquainted with the setup, how to navigate why it's so much better. It's almost like a breath of fresh air. You know, I feel like in so many trainings, especially that I've done in like a computer lab setting where teachers come in and they have problems and they raise their hand and I go over to help them, it's because they're using a different browser (laughs) than Google Chrome. So just number one tip, if you are teaching several of the Google apps, make sure that every teacher is on board and understands Chrome, whether you're using Chromebooks or something else. Chrome is definitely the learning environment for all things Google.
1: Yes. Yes. Totally agree with that. All right. Um, Casey, it's interesting what you were uh, talking about as we're finishing up with um, the, with you know, kind of having the sneaky titles. Like, you know, you want to, you want to be able to attract, you want people to come to your session, but you also want to make sure that you provide what they need. That's at the heart of this next um, one I want to share. This is to use the meatloaf approach to professional development. The meatloaf (laughs) approach for real. So here's the idea behind this. Uh, Maybe it is. Let's see if anybody was listening to that last week. Yeah. If it's not, it should be. So the meatloaf approach, here's the idea behind this. Um, There's a a cookbook my wife got um, that talks about ways to make the recipes that you have healthier. Um, And so... Whenever we make meatloaf, you know, my kids know what the meatloaf is going to taste like. Meatloaf, you know, is is kind of a, a winner at our in our house. Uh, but if we want to make meatloaf a little bit more nutritious, what we can do is to grind up some cauliflower, grind up some broccoli, mix it into the meatloaf. And then all of a sudden it still tastes the same. But now it's got a little bit of extra nutrition. And I've started to use this approach to professional development. So I'm looking for. Ways that, you know, for instance, if we're doing technology training, if I have a strategy or a tool that I want teachers to use, I'm not going to sit up there and talk about here's what it is, here's what it does and make them sit and listen. And, um, you know, that feels like the steamed vegetables (laughs) approach to professional development. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find something fun for them to do with it. And then they've got to go get hands on with it. And then when they're done, we can talk about what did we like about the experience? We can take our student hat off and put our teacher hat on. So in that way, um, in addition to all of that, I also like to sneak a little bit of, you know, good, solid teaching and learning, some of that pedagogy in there. So I may talk about how it helps them to work their way up Webb's depth of knowledge, or I may talk about where it lands in revised Bloom's taxonomy or something like that. So I'm not beating them over the head with all of that stuff. I'm still giving them what they want the meatloaf. Uh, that may be a bad example for some people. I, I like meatloaf. so, But um, that's, that's a way that you can kind of sneak some of that stuff in without beating o- them over the head with it.
0: That's funny because I often talk about the eat your veggies PD. And I think it's actually in my book because uh, yeah. sometimes the, the hard stuff, the stuff that teachers don't really want to do, has to happen and I, th- I think for me it's always getting them to create and implement something to actually take action with that too but i like the meatloaf approach too yeah. although i don't actually like meatloaf so <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll put that in the meat app right but uh, anyway so i'm gonna keep progressing through my framework here i hope this is still making sense to everyone. So we've got our our foundation of adult learning strategies. We are giving them the learning environment, which is Google Chrome. And then I usually start with Google Docs. Not always, but usually. If I don't do Docs, I do Slides. And the reason is that almost every user is coming to us with some kind of prior knowledge, and they usually have been exposed to a word processor or a presentation. A word processor, I would say, is probably higher usage. So that's usually where I start, just because there are skills that are going to translate. So when we think about that, we want them to feel comfortable. And the first time you go into a Google Doc, most everyone is like, oh, it's just like Word. Yes, it's just like Word only better, (laughs) right? There's other things we can do. So we can sneak in those veggies and do some of those other things. But I will start out when I make this transition and usually do some type of get to know you activity inside Google Docs. I also like to model some different strategies like collaborative note taking within Google Docs. So we're taking notes together. They're practicing some of those skills inside docs and they're seeing that real-time collaboration, which is the number one selling point of Google. So if we teach teachers how to use Google and we never show them that real-time collaboration, we're totally missing the boat. So I feel like that's usually the best place to start. Like I said, sometimes slides, if they're more familiar, I'll do a get to know you activity. In fact, there's one that I've used from Alice Keeler several times. That's where everybody kind of gets a slide and they do a little information about themselves. And then we can go in and read and learn about each other and even do comments and things like that. And if you have some more advanced users, I've got a little uh, tonight's show act activity that I do. That's the internet pop quiz teacher edition. And you can grab a, a template to try that in your classroom. But that's really just progressing us through each of those steps to help teachers get acclimated to Google to see how it all works online, auto magically saves, you know, they're all looking for the save button. So that just gives us those opportunities to talk about those things.
1: Yep. Yep. And surprise, surprise, Casey has snuck something in from The Tonight Show. <laughs> surprise. Yeah. I've, I've got to tell tell uh, anybody listening to this real quick. Um, when my family was at Uni- the Universal Studios theme park, there's a Tonight Show ride there. And I remember walking into the gift shop afterwards and I'm like, oh my goodness, where's Casey? <laughs> I think I may have even sent her pictures from the the gift shop. Shame on yes. me for not getting you anything from that gift shop too.
0: I know. What, what's up with that? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. Love next it. time. Next yeah. time, I will next totally time. get you a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, this next one is a real basic one, but I think it's it's pretty important with any sort of training you're doing, especially with Google, because we know the Google tools in and out. Um but sometimes knowing them in and out isn't as important as what we're going to talk about here. And that is to use the problem solution framework. It's not even that like complex of a framework. It's pretty simple because sometimes we come into trainings and we go, I know exactly what I need to teach them. I need to teach them X, Y, and Z. Um, I need them to do X, Y, and Z. And sometimes we skip the important um, the important step of asking, what are the problems That the people I'm working with face, you know, what are the problems these teachers face? And then what's the problem that this solves? So I think as long as we keep that in mind, it helps us to focus on the why instead of on the what. So we can't, I don't think we can just jump in willy nilly and say, we're going to learn this, that and the other if we don't know why we're doing it or they don't know why they're doing it sometimes they can figure it out but i don't think we can make that assumption so if we look at it in their shoes and we think okay what is a problem that they face what is the problem that this solves is this the problem that we need to be solving today and if we can think of it in terms of solving problems of addressing their pain points you know if we can if we can remove the pain points or help our, um, the, the folks in our trainings to address their own pain points and remove them themselves. Then we have helped them to do something that's important to them instead of presenting things that are important to us. So I think if we keep that problem solution framework, uh, what are the problems that they face? What's the problem that this solves? And then, you know, focus on the solution through that. I think that's super important.
0: It is. And that's how you're going to get buy-in. You know, mm-hmm. I tell so many people who ask me when they have trouble with getting their teachers on board with certain things, I'm like, no, you don't start teaching them you know, something, how to use Google Slides to create an ebook. You want to show them a Chrome extension that saves them 10 minutes. Yes. You want to solve some kind of problem like you're saying, but save them time. That's that's how I win them over. When I show them something that wows them, that's easy to do, that everybody can do, I just got them to listen to all the other stuff. To to listen to the veggies, right? To <laughs> listen get to the veggies, to the heart of the math. Med- listen to did I say listen to the veggies? You, listen you to did. the veggies. It's a new thing, y'all. I yes. did okay. Apparently, I'm making up all kinds of new things meet apps and listen yes. to the veggies so yes. we we will get there but yeah. I, I love that and that is something that I've, I've learned the hard way especially when I'm teaching something that's mandated right and I'm sure you've had this I've been called mm-hmm. in to do a training and every teacher shows up some are really excited to be there and some are sitting in the back with their arms crossed and you've got to win them over and that's that's my challenge when I see those teachers I'm like okay what's well, yeah what's her pain point? Why is she coming in here with this mindset? How am I going to help shift that? So yeah, really love that. Okay, I'm going to come back to the framework. Remember, we've got the the very foundation is our adult learning strategies. We've got Google Chrome as our learning environment. And then we shift into those basic skills with Google Docs or Slides and eventually get those both covered. The next layer uh, is the Google Forms and Sheets. So these two apps are married. That's how I like to think of them. And I always teach them together in cohesion because they are so powerful individually. But of course, they're even more powerful when you put them together. So as I am teaching these things, in fact, I often tell people Google forms can be one of the easiest apps to learn you know you can learn how to use google forms in like 5 minutes if you're if you're pretty savvy so it's not hard to figure out but it can be extremely advanced so we can go from one end of the spectrum we could teach google forms all day long but when i'm teaching with teachers who've never been exposed to either of these things or had little exposure i start with forms i model the creation of a form with them show it on the screen so they can everybody can see what i'm doing Then I grab that link, show them how I got the link, and I give it to all the participants to fill out. So everybody has seen the form created, then they're actually completing the form. Then I show them the responses. So I bring that up in forms, and then I transition and show them how we connect that to sheets. And then I transition into teaching sheets and some of the things that we do together. So I feel like If we're teaching forms, we should be teaching Sheets. Although I will say forms has become more robust on its own. We used to have to teach Sheets in order to see some of the responses Mm -hmm. and things but that has shifted. But again, that's kind of our next layer. I love that.
1: I love this progression. I've never thought about this before. You know, the adult learning strategies, the learning environment in Google Chrome, then you do docs and slides because that's what they're familiar with, forms and Sheets because they may not have as much familiarity with it. I mean... It just, it makes sense. This is, this is really good stuff. So you're very welcome. All right. Last one from me. (laughs) So (laughs) um, this last one falls back on a quote that we've probably, and I don't even know if this is like a direct quote to anybody. I haven't done my research on this, so uh, please forgive me, but it's something to the effect of this. They might forget what you said, but they won't forget how you made them feel. Um, some version of this quote I've seen in a number of places. And I think that this applies a lot to professional development. Um, you know, I think for a lot of teachers, professional development is kind of a drag. Um, it makes them feel inadequate. Um, it makes them feel like the person's leading PD uh, doesn't understand them, doesn't understand their situation. And um I think whenever you can do something, whatever you can do, to help them to feel adequate, appreciated, capable, welcome—any of those things—it's it's super important. Um, you know, there's there's research that talks about how anxiety negatively affects our brain, negatively affects our neurologically based skills, and so. Anything I can do to reduce anxiety, you know, it's just the little things sometimes like if someone struggles, I like to help them feel like the struggle is it's, it's easy to fix. If they make a mistake, I help them to realize that it's, it's no big deal. You know, it's okay. You know, life is going to go on. <laughs> if something goes wrong and it's not their fault, I, I go out of my way to make sure they know, Hey, you didn't do anything wrong. You did exactly what you were supposed to do. And just those little things. Lots of smiling, lots of validating the things that they mention throughout a session. Um, you know, all of those things, I think, eventually add up. And especially if you work with the same teachers over and over again. For me, I do a lot of workshops in different school districts. But if you've got the same folks over and over again, I think you'll find a residual effect to this, like little by little when they realize that you really are on their side and you're out there for them and you make them feel like a better person or you make them feel welcome and appreciated, I think that can be huge. So, um, you know, they may forget what you said, but they won't forget how you made them feel.
0: And that's something we talk about so much in our classrooms. I feel like there are so many things that we need to keep in mind as teachers that we talk about as best practices, even though we've sort of got the pedagogy, and andragogy thing, but at the same time, building those relationships, giving them a safe place to fail, you know, those things that we tell teachers to do in their classrooms are the things we should be modeling as trainers and professional developers to make sure that we are doing those things because that is going to help them get through the process. You know, just like you said, if if I can support one teacher, if I can help them see that they can reach this goal, then we're going to be one step closer. So thank you for sharing all those. Those are great. I'm going to move on to our top layer, was uh, sort of the top layer, the next layer of the framework. And this is where we talk about Google Drive and sharing. So in-depth sharing. So many, many moons ago when I first started teaching Google, I would oftentimes start in Drive. And Drive really had a different purpose. In fact, it wasn't even completely called Drive back then but I have discovered that when i have seen other people training sometimes they start in drive when teachers have not created anything they don't have anything in their drive they've never shared anything they don't know what sharing is they don't know what collaboration is it doesn't make sense until they've already created things and shared things somewhere else so that they can truly see what drive is is that storage place and all of the other functionality because you're not going to organize things into folders until you have things to organize into folders so it just makes sense and in terms of the sharing, Sharing piece. I've also taught sharing for so many years now. I created a guide that sort of explains it in different levels because so many teachers really only get that first share it with an email, like share it directly with a teacher or student. And then when we start talking about all of the other layers, you know, anyone with the link, and commenting and editing and all of those things, it gets really complicated. And if you're talking to a first-time user, they're going to be completely lost. So you have to slowly build that in. So you're not going to start talking about that until they've already done some sharing, until they've already done some collaboration and, and creation to have something work inside Google Drive. And just to kind of wrap up this whole framework at the very, very top in the the longer image, I actually have a little salt shaker that has all the other apps. And that's where you sprinkle in the other G Suite applications. Because I know everybody's like, well, where do you fit in classroom and hangouts and drawings and keep and all those other things? I don't feel like those necessarily have to have as much as a specific order because once they get Google, they get Google, right? That's what's so great. So many of the ways that we share look exactly the same across all the different applications. And a lot of teachers will have exposure to Gmail and things like that beforehand. So Gmail's sort of a special exception they may or may not have as a personal user. So We just have to think about those and the way you've rolled things out in your district would definitely make a difference whether you were using Outlook and now you're switching to Gmail or Calendar, whatever it is. But that's just sort of the framework that has worked for me over the years. It's the way I teach my online courses in that order. I feel like it really just helps connect the dots in a more meaningful way. So if you are training teachers on Google, that's my recommendation and sort of an order to teach everything.
1: Yeah, that's that's so good. Again, such a, a really really good framework here. My goodness, we had a lot to talk about related to professional development. In fact, um, this is going to be a much longer episode than normal. And even before we started here, Casey and I were looking at what we had to to share with all of you about this, and we thought, hey, we might need to make this into like two episodes. So stay tuned. There very likely will be some more information related to professional development in Google coming up from us. So um, again, as always, if you want to check out all of the things that we shared and some links, you can head to googleteachertribe.com slash 92.
0: Okay, Matt, let's jump into the blog bag. (laughs) We're skipping the mailbag today because Casey talked too long. Now we're going to jump into the blog bag because Casey Mm. didn't have a better transition. So I'm going to jump back and share a post that was a few weeks ago, but I think the listeners here particularly would really love it. So I wanted to be sure that I shared it. It's on how to create drag and drop activities with Google Slides. And it's actually a blog post, a podcast episode and a YouTube video. So, whatever type <laughs> of learner you are, you can learn how to do this. And this is something that Matt and I have shared so many different what y'all know, we've done some slides episodes, but I really just wanted to make something that was here. Look at this. This changes the way that you think of using Google Slides. So, anyway, we'll have that link in the show notes for you in
1: the blog bag. And the blog. I can't believe you went to the blog, but I love it though. I love it. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay. For, for me, I have been continually just like Casey does, just like so many people do, uh, continually gathering a bunch of Google classroom tips. And so, um, I've pulled all of the posts and all of the tips and everything all together into one home base. And so this, this, uh, post is called 75 plus, Google classroom tips and tricks. And what's different about this is that we pulled all of these together into a free ebook. So if you like to be able to download and access something, if you want to be able to share it easily with others, I mean, it's on eight and a half by 11, you could print it, but it's like 32 pages. So, (laughs) um, but being able to do that could be, could be pretty nice, you know? So, um, that's available to you, um, at our show notes. Of course, there's links to all of this stuff at Google teacher slash 92. That was a long episode, but hopefully you've been listening to this and have enjoyed uh, some professional development talk. You can call it some shop talk if you do, you know, trainings or professional development. And so hopefully you've gotten some stuff that's useful to you. Um, we are super, super excited to be closing in on episode 100. You know, this is episode 92. We're getting much, much closer. So, um, And we would love to hear from you. What were your favorite moments or some of the most important things that you've learned from the Google Teacher Tribe. So if you've got something that you'd like to share with us, we would love to um, gather some of those and try to include everything that we can in our episode 100. So you can head to GoogleTeacherTribe.com and leave us a voice message and we will try to get as much of that stuff on the air as we can. And speaking of milestones, we're getting awfully close to 1 million downloads i think we're we're over the nine hundred ninety thousand. yeah which is crazy to think so um we're we're still planning some sort of celebration see we got all of these milestones all kind of coming together at the same time so um thank you thank you thank you so much uh for being a listener we hope that you subscribe um and we we really love learning alongside you
0: Yeah, at the time of this recording, we are at 993,000 downloads, which I still can't believe. But I think it's either going to be this episode 92 or it might just creep into episode 93. And I think that's when we're going to break that one million mark. And I can't wait. I'm so excited and I'm so proud of the community because this is all about the people who have contributed and listen and share things and help us all learn together. So thank you all so much for helping us get here. I didn't know if we would ever hit one million. In fact, I I would have thought that would have been years away. But to hit that before we even hit our 100th episode, I think, is something that we're both really proud of. So thank you all so much for listening. Again, remember, everything's in our show notes at GoogleTeacherTribe.com slash 92 And Matt, do you want to end us this Yeah,
1: I do. We will see you on the next episode of the Google (laughs) Teeth Tribe podcast.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to say bye, (laughs) y'all. Bye, y'all.